Hello there, and welcome to the Quarter to Three movie podcast, where we have just seen The Rum Diary, which takes place in a Spanish-speaking country, and therefore this tune from uh, Fast Five Rio Heist is entirely appropriate. I am Tom Chick, and I am joined by Christian Marlansky, I think. I don't see why you don't just refer to me as what's-his-name. And also, Kelly Wand, who may or may not have a Rum Diary tagline. Kelly Wand, what do you got? Uh, I can handle a tagline. That's two seconds. Uh, The tagline you're about to hear is, Looking at Amber herds me. (laughs) Ah, guys. Well, let's get into that in a moment. But before we talk Rum Diaries... Uh, no, it's diary. I thought that. Oh, you know what? You're right. I keep doing that. Yeah, it is one diary. Doesn't it was... sound like it should be plural? Like usually, I think you're insane, but on this one, I thought what you thought. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to drink a lot, you would keep more. Yeah, give me more one diary, right? Yeah, yeah. He's probably and have a backup. He's got yeah. a lot to say. Um, but All before right. we get into that, uh, let's do some quick catching up. Some of us have seen Paranormal Activity three, and because this podcast is posting on Halloween. We figured we should tell you to avoid it. <laughs> I can't say that. I didn't see it. Kelly Wand is the only one. Yeah, Kelly Wand, you have done the right thing. Uh, Dingus, you... <laughs> I made you guys see it and then blew you off. And then... Uh... You left us there. It's sort of like, yeah, like uh, you, yeah. you, because of you, we saw Paranormal... You weren't even going to see it, and I talked you into seeing it. And you're all, okay, but we all have to see it together like a lifeboat. Well, here's the thing. I would have seen it anyway because I am a uh, a horror movie completionist and a catfish enthusiast and a catfish enthusiast. Not and you know what? I so I dislike Paranormal Activity three so much that I'm no longer a catfish enthusiast. They cured me of my affection for their previous movie. What do you think of that? Wow! Wow! What the hell? How does that? that that's not how it works. Mm, that's how I'm selling it. Uh, right. Re re blowing you off. You're welcome, slaves. But now. <laughs> Tell me about it because I'm not going to see it, and then I don't care. So. Okay, I want I want to hear from Dingus because we. Uh, but first, I want to say so. I was probably on this podcast the guy who was most okay. We all loved Paranormal Activity. I was the one who was most okay with Paranormal Activity Two because I liked that it brought dog. Abby the dog, it. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the pool droid. Uh, I kind of was okay with the characters, and it seemed it did that kind of Back to the Future thing where it, it layered bits into the previous movie, and I was kind of okay with that. Um, baby, so, as the guy, yeah, yeah, I was even I kind of like the baby. You're what? Oh, I don't remember you liking the baby before. Well, and I also thought, like, I thought that it did dire that you know, the baby didn't keep it from from implying dire things. Uh, so anyway. Uh, so they added more babies, so you'll love. The they were babies. They were little girls. They were they were little monkeys, and they were adorable. But uh, it, the only thing this movie brought to the Paranormal Activity franchise is panning, and that's the camera going left and right, of course. Uh, and that was kind of cool, and they did some neat stuff with that because you know they mount the camera on a fan, and so you're just watching the camera go left and right, and thinking all kinds of cool things could happen, and and a couple of maybe arguably cool things happened, but overall I hated it. And Kelly Wand, here's why I'm most bummed you didn't get to see Paranormal Activity three because I would pay good money to hear you somehow recap the final 15 minutes of Paranormal Activity three. That's how long. I, okay, that's how much of it I have to see. 
No, no, you have to see the whole thing. But, but, and part of, and the the peak part of that experience, the peak WTFness of it all, is the final fifteen minutes. Dingus, tell me that your heart doesn't have an empty spot where the Kelly Wan synopsis of the final fifteen minutes of Paranormal Activity three should go. Oh, there's there's that there's that moment when a certain door is opened when I oh, wish. Spoiler, a door opens. I wish opens. I could have heard Kelly Wand. Dude, <laughs> I wish I could have heard Kelly Wand sitting next to me saying something. That's what I heard because I guess I had, as luck would have it, in my theater I had the uh, idiot version of Kelly Wand sitting next to me. Mm. And he was just going, what the fuck? What the fuck? And I That's- just want to say for the listeners, that was not me. Dingus and I did not see Kevin. This guy was just going, what the fuck? That, that ghost totally raped her. I mean, it was just that for the whole movie. What? And I really needed Kelly Wan instead of... He, he was like the guy in the first Fast and Furious who drives the Jetta. If, as if that guy had been sitting next to me. Wait, a ghost rapes one of the little girls? <laughs> no. But that that's how stupid that guy is. Like, she just gets yanked, like some CG yanks her, and then he goes, oh, she was raped, and you had to hear it. Yeah, it's, uh, it was, and that was just, his running commentary was basically what the fuck for the whole movie. Mm. But well, it's, it's, an, it's an enormously successful movie, so... We're all dumb. Well, yeah, and I'm <laughs> sure can, I'm sure they'll get another chance to do a Paranormal Activity 4, and... They've uh, they've thrown quite a wrench into the mythology. I feel <laughs> I'd like to see they did them. the second one when you find out it was their great grandma who made a deal with the devil for money. Kelly Wand, I just want to say you have no idea. Because <laughs> that was really a low shit way to go. I mean, first it's not the same demon. The demon in the first movie is awesome. The second demon. Uh, the, the thing I think that Dingus and I do approve of is that the trailer was composed entirely, I say entirely, uh, there might have been bits and pieces, but was composed at least largely, if not entirely, of stuff that isn't actually in the movie. Right. And Intercut I, with grabs. From and I, yeah, and I love Ever. that they did that. I love that, that, that they did that little bit of misdirection. Uh, so that's they get a tip of the hat for that, and otherwise they just get a big old raspberries from me. Yep. Gee, bloody Mary. That's pretty uh, deep stuff there, man. That's not the same demon either, that silhouette and that stupid trailer. That's not what the fucking demon looks like. It doesn't have a trailer. <laughs> so, Kelly Wan, what did you see in the last week? Do you have any? No, wait, I'm not done talking about this. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dingus. Dingus hasn't said anything yet about it. Dingus, what do you have to say for yourself about sitting through paranormal Except activity? Except a rape. He claims he heard a rape scene. I'm assuming it was just a, a grossly inappropriate use of the verb for uh, when when no such thing is happening, uh, which is, happens in a lot of movie audiences. I've noticed you hear people scream shit out that a submarine, and you're watching like Shrek three. <laughs> I'm not watching Shrek three. I don't know what you're thinking. Aw, come on. All right, Dingus, go ahead. So, what? Uh, tell us about Paranormal Activity oh, three. Okay. You, you're you're as down on it as I am. It sounds like. What more do you have to say? Well, we we kind of had to push. And I'm not sure why this happened. Given, I mean, it, you're so funny the way you kind of flop around on that. <laughs> yeah, the you're stuff kind of he does the, pick is dumb as the stuff he goes. You're the Mitt, you're the Mitt Romney of watching Paranormal Activity three, Tom. Yeah. I, I want to be the Michelle Bachman of Paranormal Activity 3. How can I explain that? You're going to have to work harder on that, I'm afraid. Uh, because uh, because we had to push you to see Paranormal Activity 3, and I really wanted to see it. It's because, because we'd seen the first two, and I thought that would be sort of a cool completionist thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sitting as Paranormal Activity 3 is, is rolling on, and I kind of had a clue of what the premise was. Mm-hmm. And I realized... 
this movie is going to bother me as much as what they did with the remake of Don't Be Afraid of the Dark bothered me. Mm-hmm. And that didn't occur to me going in. And that pissed me off that that I didn't realize that, oh, they're just throwing kids in there. And that's going to make it scarier. And I hate that choice. Kids, you already know that grow up, so it's even scarier because you know what happens. Yeah, but we're just we're just going to throw kids into danger. And so that idea yeah. and just having kids run around in danger and talking like little, like Tom said, totally adorable little monkeys um, running into, you know, uh, all the things that they run into. Uh, that They're always running into just, stuff. Is it just, uh, yeah. <laughs> and that just so annoyed me that I didn't pick that up going in. Um, the other thing is the is the panning, which, as I was watching it, I loved it as a filmmaking convention, but it makes no sense based on the premise of what is going on in this particular film. It makes absolutely no sense. Because of why, Does how and why, because of how and why the editing of the found footage is being accomplished, mm-hmm. um, what the panning provides for us as viewers is sort of a what's-not-being-seen kind of a vibe. And what the editing of these tapes is providing for us as viewers is supposed to be only what is seen. I mean, these these things are edited meticulously and quickly by these guys. I mean, that's why we're seeing all of this footage from various cameras. And the panning shouldn't exist based on sort of that very premise. And so it sort of all falls apart. Uh, yeah, I think I think what we've got here is uh, a cool idea in the hands of young filmmakers who don't really appreciate the idea and know how to use it well. Exactly. But with the, the panning bit, yeah. Uh, how awesome was it seeing it two weeks after Lake Mungo? Well, I, for me, <laughs> you saw it a million years ago. Yeah, Lake Mungo is... Uh, Old I, news for you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they Well, they don't compare. I mean, I, I've even seen more recently a, a pretty bad, but somehow... There, there's a found footage movie I saw recently called Grave Encounters, uh, which goes completely over the top. It's silly, ridiculous stuff, lots of gratuitous CG, uh, but it has this sense of, of sort of just fun and just kind of this thrill ride aspect to it that I feel has been completely lost in paranormal activity. Uh, so I, I think it pales, not in comparison so much to Lake Mungo, but even something silly like, like Grave Encounters. So. Uh I have a bombshell to drop. I don't know if you want to get into it yet. Cause what's know. your yeah? What's your bombshell? Meek's cutoff pissed me off. Ha ha! <laughs> Motherfuckers! Why did it make you angry? So let's because... be, let us hold on. In this pre uh, before we get to rum diaries, uh, let's be careful about spoilers. So let's talk about things. We're doing our catch up session, but we'll Maybe try we to avoid cut up podcast then well i have i i'm pretty confident that we will be discussing meek's cutoff before the end of the year but i bet you know why it pissed me off i don't actually yeah i don't i don't either i'm Mm. curious about this did you okay you just got it you just got the dvd right yeah i netflixed it so are you angry about the ending yes the Kelly Wan, there's no reason to be angry about the ending. It does it, it does it, it tells you exactly what it needs to tell you. It 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 puts the character exactly where they need to go at the end. Uh, it's it's not a gotcha. It's uh, part of the point. Listen, Sopranos, serious man endings. Okay, those are cool. Those are the ones I like. Now it's getting into like final season of Lost level of every movie's gotta have that fucking ending. Nope, absolutely not. I can uh, I, I think The title gives it away, you know what if you uh, right. 
And I think, though, as as far as I think what Kelly Reichardt is wanting to say, there's no reason to go a second farther than than where the movie goes. I was, you know what? Maybe it was just too much of a good thing for me. Like I was really enjoying it, and I was like, I hope this movie is another three hours of this. Right. Uh, I, I think the point is, it's not where the characters end up that matters. It's the decisions that get them where they are that, that matters. I, I mean, I think that in certain movies, uh, I guess it's not a spoiler, but in certain movies like Limbo, uh, the outcome of what would normally be a character arc isn't as important as the fact that the characters got on this arc in the first place, that they found themselves in this situation and how they each respond to the situation is more important than the resolution of the situation. If that makes any sense. <sighs> well, rather than a, a resolution of a situation, it's sort of a shift in dynamic. And if you're looking at sort of a group of characters rather than a single character, um, a successful shift of dynamic is sort of yeah. a point as well. Exactly. I did love that character, and I loved the dialogue and the cinematography. Uh, I will say for this week's three by three, the sewing basket was almost one of my uh, one of my choices for a Chekhov's gun. <laughs> and the bird, Chekhov's bird, Vonnegut's uh, bird. But I'm glad you, I saw uh, it. So you're angry, but you're glad you saw it. Uh, yes. And okay, thing as opposed to paranormal activity, which is oh, those catfish guys who already had a stupid hit movie have the biggest stupid hit. <laughs> well, Kelly Wand, I think you are now ready to see, uh, probably in this order, uh, Wendy and Lucy and then Old Joy, which are Kelly Reichardt's other two movies. Mm. Do they have endings? I'm not going to say, am I? Bleep, bleep, bleep. <laughs> uh, so I want a quick tip. Uh, I saw something that I think I went, did you see it when I saw Paranormal Activity? I guess so. That I didn't expect was going to be any good and just kind of out of a sense of obligation. It feels like one of those vegetable movies that's mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's politically relevant. And, oh, it's got a great cast of actors. And, oh, God, it's probably going to be really talky and dull. And, and I think my experience was colored by seeing that uh, – can't even think now of the name of that George Clooney thing. Ides of March. Ides of March, right. Uh, I just want to say, Margin Call is fantastic. Do you guys even know what Margin Call is? It's not a title that makes you go, dude. Exactly. And it's also, yeah, exactly. It's the. I think it should have been called Ides of March, if anything. I mean, right. it's, as far as like a movie about betrayal and stuff. Uh, and it's got just the driest, most boring title. Uh, but but I wind up liking that. Like some titles seem cool after you see the movie. Like you go, oh, no, I like it. Oh, it's an alien. Alien's a good title. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not even sure Margin Call ever comes through, though, as a a good title. Uh, Sure wasn't a human in his stomach (laughs) with the spaghetti. Uh, But do you guys know what Margin Call is? No, give me, feed me. Dingus, do you know? Uh, yeah, but go ahead and talk about it. So it's it's just, it's a a fantastic cast, uh, and it's just about... when it, it's presumably about Lehman Brothers, although they never say the name of it, and it's about the that company's decision to start offload. It's basically about a precipitating event that leads to the mortgage crisis. And good lord, I don't know how to make that sound any less dry. I mean, that just no, it sounds good to me. Actually. But it, here's the good thing about it: it's all. It's like it's like one of those tightly contained movies that's all in the space of 24 hours and mostly one night. It's like one night where one guy discovers one point of data. Here's what it reminds me of in a way. Glenn Gary. 
that uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, of, of course, but Glengarry Glen Ross is much more stylized. Uh, this, as far as watching men who are really good at what they do and who are professional and who don't talk down to us, the audience, to explain things, reminds me of the air traffic controller scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where you're watching men who uh, who are staring at numbers and screens and kind of reacting to what they're seeing, but not freaking out and not in a dramatic way, just in a very professional way, and it creates this sense of drama and tension. A lot of margin call is dudes showing other dudes numbers on a computer, <laughs> which which is just, that's the most undramatic thing you can imagine. But the actors sell it so right. well, and it's such a fantastic cast. That's uh, what you need to appreciate acting. It's a more boring thing. Exactly, exactly. Anybody can sit down and pretend they're scared of a T-Rex, you know. But for someone to sit down and, and show that same level of sort sort of tension and fear and in exactly. the importance of the of a number on a spreadsheet that takes talent. Uh, so and I don't want to make it sound dry because another thing it's not a technical movie at all. Uh, they'll use technical terms, but they never do that silly thing where they explain to the audience like what a volatility index is. They just <laughs> say it, and you nice. know from the tone of their voice what the significance of it is. Nobody ever says, this is what this means, and this is what that means, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I really, really liked Margin Call. Uh, so that's my, my hot tip. It's written right. by someone new. It's like one of their first things. And it is so... Uh, it just as far as I mean, I guess this, the events of Margin Call are what, like four years old, but it just feels so kind of like Take Shelter. It feels like such a zeitgeist movie. Uh, so, all right, it's Dingus. been four years since that stupid shit, and here we are. Here we are. Dingus, what's your hot take this week before we get to Rum Diaries? Hmm. Uh, any <laughs> hot tips? Any documentaries about frogs or anything? Oh, uh, I saw. I, you know, I'm getting a lot of movies because I'm on the SAG nominating committee. Oh my god! And I'm seeing all these movies because I'm in SAG nominating committee. SAG nominating committee. <laughs> That's an excellent That's version good. of my voice. That's. Ex- I, I like that. I think you should do the podcast as me from now. On. <laughs> I've been practicing my dingus impression in the mirror. All right, so what things have you gotten? We we know you gloated about getting your Take Shelter disc. The way oh. Tom gloated about his hammock when he was in Palm Springs for the Call of Duty thing. <laughs> oh, this hammock. So what cool. uh, other discs can you gloat about, dingus? Uh, I can't so far. Um, oh, have you have you been getting stuff that's supposed to be good that's really bad? It's just not that. It's just okay. All right. Okay. Or you can't talk about it because you're on a committee. <laughs> Well, there's there's two. There's one I was really looking. For. Well, there's two I was really looking forward to. There's this movie called A Better Life that was directed by the guy who did um, this guy named Chris White. This guy named Chris White. Come on, we all, everybody loves American Pie, Dingus. Ugh, how dare you? <laughs> no one loves American Pie. Okay, everyone loves About a Boy. How's that? Thank you. He did About a Boy, and then the, it's 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 fine, but it's it's just sort of standard. Okay. Um, and then the one I was really excited about is uh, called It's In a Better World, and that's a Suzanne Beer movie. And you're not excited about it anymore? I liked it a lot, but um, you you were you, – I think you were you liked, but you were kind of tepid about After the Wedding, right? No. I loved After the Wedding. Oh, you loved it? Yeah. All right. Well, then you might Here was my, my observation about Susanna Beer is she seems to only make movies about – uh, people replacing dead people. 
<laughs> like, like, in, like, like brothers, things we lost in the fire, and after the wedding are all about a member of a family dies and someone else has to step into that gap. Uh, so, wasted people. <laughs> well, maybe she'll do a zombie movie next. So, I'm anxious to see a movie she's done where that is not the dramatic framework, and I'm hoping maybe in a better world. No, is that right? In a better world, maybe that'll fit the bill. A, it might, it might, yeah. <laughs> okay. There's there's stuff about it I really really liked, but I'm not sure. It's not just a pale sort of. Well, anyway, uh, I think you should see it, and I want to hear what you have to say about it. But it didn't it didn't light my fire the way I was hoping it would. Uh, what famous Danish actor or or other nationality is in it, Dingus? If it's in the um, SAG nomination committee. There's a guy named Ulrich Thompson in it. Ah, we all loved him in The Thing. Oh, uh, he played Edvard, uh, the blonder one, I believe. <laughs> Doctor Sandvins. Sandvins. He's a pretty blonde film. Uh, all right. Uh, the thing. All right, so that's our uh, that's our, our catching up. Um, Fascinating. Let's move on to Rum Diaries. If you have not seen Rum Diaries, Dingus is going to tell you a little bit about it, and and. Before we get into spoilers, we'll warn you. So, Dingus, what is this Rum Diaries thing that we saw this week? Spoiler-free description, what do you got for us? All right, well, this week we saw The Rum Diary, The Rum Diary, Mm. a 2011 American drama comedic movie. (laughs) Labels are awesome. What would we do without them? I'd be so confused. I'm not sure it's American, though. It's in a foreign country. I know it's PG-13, because I didn't see any nipple on herd. Tom, do you know what country it's in? <laughs> it's it's set in uh, the country of Puerto Rico. That's America. They're Swedes. <laughs> no, they're not a state. Didn't she see the Fringe episode? with? The... <laughs> Sorry. A drama comedic movie about a writer who leaves New York to work in Puerto Rico for the San Juan Star. Mm. Oh, yeah. And, mm. and he gets into a bunch of rum and intrigue. <laughs> and, That's what the movie should have been called, by the way. And Roman intrigue. Uh, it was directed by and written by Bruce Robinson and ah. Johnny Depp, Michael Rispoli, Amber Heard, Aaron Eckhart, and Giovanni Ribisi. Mm-hmm. What rating was it? Because we we need to know this, Dingus, and why? The movie was rated R. No, it wasn't was it? Yes, it was rated uh-huh. R for language. Brief drug use, sexuality, sort of nudity, and cotton. Yeah. Depp wins that one. Uh, Real quick, before we get onto the spoiler stuff, at my theater, uh, when I was in line to get a ticket, there was a a young family in front of me. A younger fella and his wife, they were Latino. He had a bunch of tattoos, which I've got no problem with. That's cool. She had a bunch of piercings. They had a little boy who was, I guess, about six years old. Uh, and I'm figuring they're going to go see Puss in Boots. Uh, as they're getting up to the window, the little boy sees someone in, in front of them getting 3D glasses for Puss in Boots. And he says to his dad, see, it is in 3D. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. They're going to see Puss in Boots. I, I support that. They get up to the window and the guy orders three tickets for Paranormal Activity 3. <laughs> that's in 3D? Now, no, it's not. The, the boy did not get his 3D. Now, here's the detail where I wanted to tell Dingus about it. The little boy had on the – he was wearing a shirt, and on the back of the shirt – it was one of those, like, football or hockey jerseys or whatever. It had a number on it, and on the back of the shirt, it said – Same thing. Rothsberger. Oh. 
who I once heard Dingus say something about, yeah, I'm really into the blah, blah, blah team, but I just can't get behind Roethlisberger. And that's my imitation of Dingus talking about sports. <laughs> so I just thought Dingus, this family's indoctrinating this kid with Roethlisberger attire and taking him to see. And look what it's done. Right. It's a twofer. Yeah. So, if you Roth- say his name like that one more time, I'm going to scream. I really don't know the guy's name. It's like Rothenberger or Rothberger. I don't know who it is. I know he's apparently some thuggish football player of whom you disapprove. And I thought you would appreciate that the kid was wearing a... He's no O.J. Simpson. <laughs> how, how could that name possibly go across a little kid's shoulder? That, well, it's that's like, exactly it. It was, it was jammed in between right. his... Yeah, there was barely room for it. Vertically. And that's what got me to look at it. It was like, what are all those letters clustered on his... They should oh, make look. the numbers long, too. So they're as long as the names. Just an idea. So that's uh, that's adventures in in buying tickets and seeing other people's parenting skills at work. There. Which of those sins of the parents annoyed you the most? The paranormal activity three or the shirt? Well, Diggis, what I'd like you to answer that. Or what? the 3D. The kid looking forward to 3D. <laughs> yeah, the kid wanting the 3D, yeah. <laughs> being dragged to paranormal activity three, or wearing a Rothberger shirt. <laughs> it, Diggis, rank those peccadillos. Um, because I love America, I'm going to say 3D is the worst of those sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, then yeah. Paranormal Activity 3, and then the uh, the Jersey. <laughs> okay. Tom, you're a big brother, so you should have stepped in and gone. I hey, seriously, I I mean, there was part I'm of me that was podcaster. <laughs> I mean, I seriously thought of saying to this guy, what do you think in taking the your kid with- to see Paranormal Activity 3? You know, it's R-rated. There's a there's a bunch of children in danger. That you're you're a jerk. Uh, but I didn't. Sure. He was, he was a pretty he was a pretty burly fellow too, and I, I don't think he would have brooked any nonsense from me. So, so that makes you less courageous. <laughs> if he'd been a huge pussy, you would have gone right up to him. And, Dude, come on! At least see Apollo eighteen. That's got astronomy in it, science. But also just appeal to him on a level of it's it's not a good movie. I mean, regardless of the content. Yeah, it's not a good movie. You should take your son to see something that's good, like Irreversible or The Exorcist. <laughs> Those are actually good. Right. Or Margin Call. Go 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 see Margin Call with your kid. Drag yeah. your boy Margin Call. So, so was- yeah. All right, so uh, let's then get into some spoiler talk for The Rum Diary, just one. Uh, I think we're all huge fans of Mr. Bruce Robinson on this podcast. Let's see how that's turned out, but I should warn you, we're going to be talking in spoiler-specific terms. Kelly Wand, why don't you break down a more detailed version spoiler-laden of what actually happens in The Rum Diary. (sighs) (laughs) That's my reaction to talking about this movie as well, but I'm looking forward to hearing your uh, synopsis. Uh, Well, I saw it tonight, and I had a lot of stuff to do this weekend for money, so this one's a little short, plus everyone hates them, apparently. They really do. They're just complaining far and wide. Everyone fast-forwards through this part of the podcast. Nobody likes it. People constantly email me, and they're like, is there a way that Kelly Wands could not do these? And I'm yeah. like, dude, I totally agree. Yeah, they're, they're constantly asking that they be cut from the podcast and removed to their own podcast where people don't have to listen to them. But it's- Amber Heard doesn't like them. <laughs> Did in she- the movie, she likes them, but not in real life. <laughs> I, I, wanna, I have a few things to say about Amber Heard, but we'll get uh, uh, let's wait, talk- so you you had things to do for money? Did you have to, things to do for, like, a sea of money that God was talking about money? <laughs> Diggis, that's a spoiler. Oh, my, my mistake. Oh, yeah, that was dumb. All right, Kelly Wan, take it away. Here, what are we calling this week's synopsis? 
Rum Diopsis. <laughs> Phase three. Incurable. You have three months. Uh, <clears throat> this is short, so fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> you get it for free. I hate being paid for free and taking shit for things. I hate that combination. So here, here's something for free. Give me shit. I care a lot. Uh, okay, yeah, Rum Diopsis. So uh, Johnny Depp... <clears throat> Fails to fight real estate corruption in 1960 Puerto Rico with gonzo journalism, but then he does so successfully by marrying Amber Heard. What a sacrifice. And also by rigging a cockfight via the voodoo chick who brought him back to life in Pirates of the Caribbean 2. And also Jeffrey Rushback by verbally announcing another sequel and music playing at the end of that movie. That was the magic. That was how Disney rendered voodoo. As opposed to uh, a spit-up frog, Bruce <laughs> Robinson. Uh, Depp's fattest drunken sidekick-slash-roommate out of four gets him fired multiple times, but we know he's a straight shooter because he bitches out the locals for steak as obnoxiously as Aaron Eckhart. <laughs> but funny car and CG tongue equal big, fat, greasy heart. That's all I had time to write. I'm sorry. It's going so well, I wish I had more now. You sound so I, I would say it's more focused than this movie. Ah, see? Ah. I, you know, I was liking it, and then at the end, uh, Amber Heard shows up on his doorstep, and I'm like, how did she find him? And then at the end, they got married. Spoiler alert. Hey, Juan, did this 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 sort of triggered your hatred of redemption in movies? Is that what was going on? Well, there? that's a hundred. This is a Hunter Thompson movie. Like that's this Hunter Thompson story arc as he marries. He goes to let's. Hmm, I don't remember this happening. He moves, goes to Puerto Rico, gets bitched in a basement, but smells ink and ocean and Amber Heard, and she flies to. She leaves a millionaire for him. And then they take a shower together, and then she flies to New York, and he take, steals a boat. Like, none of this – I know you're anti-source material. <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to ask you about is uh, – It's a Hunter this... Thompson thing, and it's Johnny Depp playing Hunter Thompson. Right. So it now, ending with American Pie 3. So there's, a, there's actually a, a Hunter Thompson book called The Rum Diary. Is that correct? That Johnny Depp found in Hunter Thompson's – house after he died and oh an unpublished manuscript published manuscript when he he wrote when he was 20 yeah it was only published in 98 98 and uh is it a did hunter s thompson write it as a novel or is his memoirs of actually writing for a small paper in puerto rico Uh, it's a novel he didn't get the job in puerto rico so that's how much a biopic this is none of it's true um but I didn't read the book, so I feel kind of dumb now. Did Hunter S. Thompson actually work in a newspaper to third world country even? Is no. all that just invented? Yes. <laughs> so factor that into your <laughs> appraisal of this movie as, man, this is the thing that taught me to write and Amber Heard showed up one night. That's really what I thought I was watching. I mean, I don't know a lot of my, my familiarity with Hunter S. Thompson is the two movies about him and the Doonesbury character. He drank a lot of rum. That part's true. I really thought this was. I really thought this was like a Hunter S. Thompson origins story. <laughs> it is one as true as the X Men origins story is. Is a faithful, dramatic creation. Human <laughs> missile crisis. Now he was he was around for the early development of the of the script. I mean, and he did complain about how, what a clusterfuck it was. Hunter S. Yeah. Thompson did. Yeah. 
man, you guys know a lot more about this project than I do. All right. But he didn't like uh, where the Buffalo Rome or any of the other scripts either. But I want to, I kind of want to see where the Buffalo Rome again and see how dated it is. I bet it's probably worse than I remember. Well, we all like fear, the Terry Gilliam Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, I, I think. And so that, that also kind of factored in. Is that, That's why I thought of it as a prequel or the, the origins story. Um, how do you guys feel it compared to that? Um, lamely, but it's worth seeing up to a point. But then, I mean, because Fear and Loathing is a drug trip. I mean, there's a come down <laughs> period. And they wrote that script in like, 20 hours or something and that it comes that effect comes across and then i read somewhere that uh bruce robinson who wrote and directed this movie and hasn't directed since jennifer eight i think 92 that andy garcia movie Mm -hmm. he had been sober for six and a half years and then he hung out with johnny depp and wrote the script drunk like he drank a bottle a day and then he finished the script and then stopped drinking again so it was a sober guy getting drunk to write the script you saw that explains a lot. It does, doesn't it? It's like, ah, either just get a normal drunk. Don't get like a guy apart. Don't get, I mean, just don't half-ass it. That's my advice to future Johnny Depp collaborators. Uh, Dingus, do you agree with Kelly Wan saying that, it, Kelly Wan, you said, I might be paraphrasing you incorrectly, but you said there's a there's there's stuff here, it's worth seeing. Is that what you said? Like there's stuff here? Well, Amber like. Heard... Amber Heard's in it. And I like Johnny Depp as Hunter Thompson. I think that's fun. And there's a lot of funny lines, or some funny lines, in the first mm-hmm. half. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes, like a lot of movies do these days, uh, it becomes about a message and a point. And then it's this fucking spelled-out, simple-minded bullshit. And then when you find out how untrue the whole thing is, it's more annoying. I, I am. That's where I am right now. This I really didn't know that this was just... Uh, yeah. If you thought it was all totally true, you'd go, well, it's kind of a stupid... But okay, sure. At least Aaron Eckhart got his. He got the boat stolen. <laughs> uh, Dingus, do you agree with Kelly Wand in that there's uh, that it works fairly well early on? No. Hmm. What, do you, what, do you to, what do you have to say? <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing is, it feels it feels like you know, fear and loathing feels like mythology. It just feels like this surreal mythological thing that happens. It feels like it just happens. And this feels like it's trying to create or mythologize something. It feels like somebody trying to mythologize himself. With all all the lines that are said about, you know, rage, how many times he fucking says rage. It just feels like we are trying to make poetic ourselves. And uh, and I, I, I can't even sign on for Amber Heard, who I usually really, really like. So... So, no, I mean... There's no payoff for the rage. From, There's no Chekhov's the, gun for the rage. Yeah. Well, from the first moment where, we're, where, we're, where I feel like we're trying to ape Brazil and that never pays off and there's no reason for it, uh, I, ju- I, I don't... It, no, I, 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 I can't, oh, the I can't sign on for this. Check out the plane as a Brazil ape. Yeah, it feels like that when you're flying through the clouds. It feels like Jonathan Price, and then it's just, it's just sort of, oh, it, this is just a visual gag. I don't know why Union Carbide has anything to do with anything, uh, but we just have this visual gag, and then we just fly into Johnny Depp doing his Hunter S. Thompson, sort of the toned-down version. Uh, I thought it was a lighthearted glide of, like, easier times. Or something. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think of Brazil. I don't know. Tom, were you on board? No, not at all. Uh, because I really, uh, I, I get what I think Bruce Robinson was trying to do. 
Uh, and my touchstone for Bruce Robinson, of course, is uh, not, not so much Jennifer Eight uh, or even that how to get ahead in advertising thing. But to me, he'll always be the the, the genius behind With Nail and I, which yeah. uh, is, is largely due to Bruce Robinson, Paul McGann, and, and uh, um, Richard Grant. Richard Grant, good lord, couldn't believe it. Uh, Richard E. Grant. There, uh, so, and I think With Nail and I is very much about the transition from the 60s to the 70s, and it's sort of like the, uh, it's before London gets into the equivalent of a hangover during the Thatcher era. Like, I think With Nail and I is very much about a loss of innocence for the characters, for the scene that it's showing us, um, and, and for, for England as, as a whole. Uh, and I think Bruce Robinson kind of thought he was doing that here, as far as this this creation of a Hunter S. Thompson character who goes from not really having a voice, being a passive observer, because that was one of my things where, where the, the movie really wasn't working for me, is the character is so passive for so long. Uh, and that's a difficult thing to do, like in a movie about a writer or an observer, that can be difficult to make the character interesting and to make him actually do things when he's just supposed to be watching. But I just hear it just this Jack Kemp, I think his name was, his character was just so Paul. Paul yeah, he, he did Flash nothing. Speed talk. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but he did nothing and he just felt so not present. And so when he mentions, you know, he doesn't have a voice yet, I was like, oh, okay, we've got this passive character who strolls through civil unrest to his job. You know, in that that first scene, and he's going to find his voice, and he's going to take action. Uh, and I think that's what the movie—that's what Bruce Robinson was trying to do with the movie—is make that the arc of the character. So when he does finally take action, I, I kind of felt like, wait, that—that's all. That's all we're getting is he bets money on a cockfight, and oh, it doesn't work out anyway. Because then he gives up. <laughs> yeah, then he gives up, and he just oh, goes. Well. He goes home. I mean, I was like, really? That's, that's oh, by the way, I'm hearing Amber Heard, so. Right. <laughs> I'm filled with rage. I can never figure out why does he suddenly care about the newspaper? Exactly, I mean, Dingus. He doesn't earn because he cares about the newspaper because he talks about uh, a voice made of ink and rage. <laughs> you know, like that's as he's finding his voice, supposedly in the movie. I think I think Bruce Robinson is trying to sell it with lines like that, and they even have to do a couple of voiceovers. But it never earned that. You know, it never earned this sense of explaining to us why this character is doing this thing. Uh, you know, all of a sudden you made me think of the way you said that made me think of the way Barton Fink talks about the common man. Yeah, and, yeah, and he keeps cutting off John Goodman. Right, the actual kind of like, yeah, sure, I'm Well, pontificating. Here's, I think, a better movie that does what I feel Bruce Robinson thought he was doing in Rum Diary. Uh, I kept being reminded of The Year of Living Dangerously. Uh, where Mel Gibson goes to the Philippines and befriends the uh, Linda Hamilton, who's playing a dude, and, uh, and and finds a sort of a voice and a political awareness as a journalist in the course of this upheaval. And it has this great is that yeah that's Peter Weir. It has this great uh, you know character arc uh, there. Right, and I, right. uh, so this this to me was just like this really just sort of pale imitation. Affected with the yeah what the Year of Living Dangerously did. Um, 
I guess I liked some lines early on, like the high end of social. That's kind of funny. Well, you know, I, I think Hunter S. Thompson is just great with terms of phrase, and I presume it's based on his manuscript that some of those found their way into this, but the movie didn't earn any of them. I mean, yeah, I loved some of the lines and some of the exchanges. I really liked some of the characters. I thought Richard Jenkins' character, I would have rather seen the movie be about him. Uh, he has this great sort of world-weary wisdom about him and this exasperation about him i mean i when he was on screen it kind of came alive i really liked him a lot he became a caricature though like a sign of everything that's wrong with journalism you know that's fascinating to me because i i don't think he's right for this because and i want to i want to hear you guys talk about this because i think waterman the way they talk about him is a hateful character and i can't hate richard jenkins i don't think he's right at all well, I, I mean, Kelly wants right that they kind of make a caricature of him. And they make a, oh, look, he's, he's they knocked He his- just says everything wrong. Yeah. But yeah, I liked Richard Jenkins' performance, and I liked what he did with his character, and I really liked the little exchange he has with, with Johnny Depp's character partway through, where he's explaining to Johnny Depp about the role of the newspaper and what people care about. And I was like, you know what? This character has a far more interesting perspective on this world than certainly Johnny Depp and even the Lewis Black character and even Giovanni Ribisi. I, I was like, this is the only guy in this movie who I really want to hear more from. And maybe that was partly Richard Jenkins' performance, but it was also just the basic fact of the role that this newspaper filled in this community uh, and how nobody wants to read about you know, the, the story that Johnny Depp wanted to write. A movie it reminded me of in that sense that where I felt kind of annoyed by the fact that the main character didn't have a bullshit detector. Like mm-hmm. he's he just it was uh, born on the Fourth of July. It kind of annoyed me like that. Like the Tom Cruise character, just like does he not know anything? <laughs> like he's already in the war. And he's still like, whoa! I didn't think it was going to be. Oh, like, like we have this character who's conveniently naive and idealistic for the sake of the plot. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Like he. Yeah. Uh, Everything's set up to make him learn this lesson, and that's how the deck's stacked in this. It's like, oh, Johnny Depp's the one honest reporter in Puerto Rico, according well, I, to a novel he wrote. <laughs> well, and even I think the script, like when, when, when they're describing the supposed plot, you know, to take this land that has been a, a U.S. naval reserve, like that they've been using for uh, naval testing, and to develop it with hotels. And how it's going to have, uh, you know, they're going to then have to hire waitresses and maids, and they're going to have tourists coming in. I kept waiting on the downside of that. <laughs> right, that's going to give them work. Exactly. This is this is called economic and, development, and this is pe- Americans coming in and spending money. Where is, you know, if you're going to develop a conscience about this, where's the downside of this? And the the only thing they had in this movie, as far as I'm concerned, is at one point Johnny Depp calls it despoiling a paradise. You know, but they they also they also say and they do not make a big enough point about this is that thousands of people are going to be displaced and I so know. And, and it's just a couple of little lines where does anybody live here nobody who's going to stay that kind of thing. But where right. is it displaced if it's a if it's a bombing site if the navy is using it to test their twelve inch guns on, on battleships like I didn't under I caught that line dingus but I was like what are they talking about this is a place that they're using to shell to test ordnance. Uh, well, that, also, well there, was, there was a famous. There's a famous place in Puerto Rico where that has gone on, where like Al Sharpton went to protest because people live there, and still the Navy shells it as right near there as their targeting zone. But people 
are still indigenous ah, to remember. that area. Right, I do remember that. Yeah. So they they just didn't make the point that the that that either genocide or <laughs> or wholesale wholesale displacement of people is going to happen. It was just sort of thrown away. Thrown in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because all yeah. I got out of that was economic development, and I'm sure that would. What be- is his speech is all he has that line where he goes, Next time if I smell people telling me bullshit, I'm gonna write about it. It's like, dude, they didn't tell him bullshit. They were like pretty open, like, all right, yeah, sign us, okay, I'll write a bunch of shit, make us look good, like and he signed it and then he you know, he broke his he only would turn back when he was already fired when he made the decision to turn on them. Like right. he didn't have any choice. So it's he, after he broke the terms of the agreement. Right. Why did they even need him at all to write their brochures I or whatever? No, they do they have, there's like a billion shills those guys could hire and would. And did. <laughs> in America. To uh, do just, it. just tell you on that line you mentioned, I had to write down because I thought it was such an obvious nod at, and it's part of why I thought it was an origin story about Hunter S. Thompson because at one point he's got that tirade while they're watching Nixon through the binoculars, and that was such a <laughs> that was such a thing for Hunter S. Thompson, Israeli against Nixon. Right. So that line was, next time some greasy moron starts bullshitting me, I'm going after him. All the way to the president of the United States. Uh, I mean, I thought that was a Nixon jab. That was one of a couple in the movie. That, that's what I took away from that line. Uh, is that this is how he learned to hate Richard Nixon by watching him on binoculars? But he can't well, and, what he's saying. No, I can't watch him by dealing with characters like uh, Aaron, Aaron Eckhart and, and his buddies. Yeah. Uh, so Kelly, one, you really, uh, you are our resident Amber Heard uh, uh, fan. I always like her. It's, I mean, it's her. It's the script that you're. She should be taking issue with. Her performance is good in this, isn't it? No, Dingus, why don't no. you get in here? You, yeah, I, I did not care for her at all. I, I think she's way. She's lost way too much weight. She looks gaunt. I don't. Uh, uh-huh. Like I've, I've seen her in, she's in one of these horrible like touristes get captured and harvested. Teristas, no, not Teristas, but it's like that. It's like Teristas. She's in John Carpenter's The Ward. Uh, I just oh, wait. Yeah, I want to. I want to see that. Yeah, okay, you... fine. Knock yourself out. But I don't. I don't think she. Uh, I Is mean, I, I really liked her in uh, Drive Angry 3D, doing that kind of like schlocky material. But she's not working for me these days. Dingus, what's your problem with Amber Heard? You guys are dumb. Because I'm a dick. Without dicks. Dicks without dicks. Continue. I'm sorry. Well, she did uh, cure my prick. Oh. <laughs> um, I don't think, number one, I don't think she's right for the part. Number two, I don't think the character makes any sense. True. And, and so when I think about why I don't like her, I don't know if I want to lay at her feet the problems of the movie's focus because I don't understand the whole bet driving the car any of that shit or popping up under his paddle boat or any of that i mean none so of that makes speak. any sense get it uh, it's it none of there's there's no heat between them the whole yeah, rape yeah. thing is just completely neutered and uh, they, they, they they don't chase down any of these things there's no payoffs but but beyond all that i just i don't you know, when you look at With Nail and I and how tight a script that is and how focused it is, um, there's so much sexuality packed into that. And it's not just homosexuality. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of sexuality and a feeling of of what if women were around here. Um, but we don't we don't include them in this particular story because it isn't necessary. And I don't think I don't think that this character makes any sense in this movie. And I think it's included for just just hey. just kind of these. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Ripley kind of, we're going to make these, these longing shots, but she's not right for it. 
And I really like her. I like her in Drive Angry 3D. I like what she's doing in that, but I don't think she's right for this. Dingus, who would you rather have popping up under his paddle boat? <laughs> Scarlett Johansson? <laughs> well, she did beat yeah. off Johansson uh, ah. for this role. You know, I would rather somebody was, that was completely a different type. I don't know. I, I just, I hate that moment. I hate the moment that meet cute of she's, she happens to be a mermaid swimming in the water while her Stop. boyfriend is giving but, a talk. Sure. I hated it. But that. you can't blame her for that. No, that's my conundrum. But, right. but all that said, I, even, I, I don't know who else I'd put in there because the character makes no sense to me. In her case, I set it aside and I go, well, this script's terrible. Okay. Look, Amber Heard. Hmm, yeah. So, Kelly Wand, then I think that I recommend for you John Carpenter's The Ward. You should see that. Is she is uh, like this in it? Uh, no, yeah, I'd sure. rather have I'd rather have Greta Gerwig there. Oh, I'd rather have Greta Gerwig popping up under anybody's paddleboat. I agree, Dingus. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, Dingus, you should see the Arthur remake because Greta Gerwig is the love interest for Mr. Russell Brandt. Uh, so, is it Garner the? Uh... Their bitch, one who's not really probably who Dingus also is, is hugely fond of. So Dingus, that's your assignment: is uh, when you're not watching your SAG nominating committee screener <laughs> copies of movies, uh, be, see the Arthur remake and report back to us. Uh, I will say this had next to the coitus interruptus scene in Paranormal Activity three, <laughs> ah, which you know, let's say you're making your I was first, told it was a rape. No, you're making your sex tape and an earthquake hits. Oops. Uh, <laughs> This had one of my favorite coitus interruptus scenes. You're having sex, and someone puts on a Hitler speech. What the fuck is up with that? <laughs> what was up with Giovanni Ribisi? Jesus, what the hell is going on? And why he was he doing his avatar? And he, what the hell is he yeah, doing? And he's doing a sling blade voice the whole time. <laughs> That's how they talked. Where did that come from? What is going on? Here's where I think that came from. I think that came from, and I don't, I don't know about the source material, but uh, when I look at some stuff in this movie, like that awesome car, and by the way, uh, lowbrow as it may have been, I loved the "Hey, we're having gay sex in the car" misperception. Make a right. I loved that scene. What was I, the cop with the burned face? Was the guy. I, I, that whole sequence right there. That for me almost awesome. made me love Rum Diary. But so that there's a there's a bit with a cool looking car too in With Nail and I. Uh, with Nail and I also has a similar sort of fascination with chickens. Um, and I think what was going on with Giovanni Ribisi is they have that character Danny in With Nail and I, who at the end of the movie kind of represents this new level of excess. And he, he's taking them to that right before Paul McGann goes off to do his, his job. But uh, Danny is this really weird, freaky character that represents, like I said, a new level of excess. And so I, I look at Giovanni Ribisi's character as kind of a counterpart to that, maybe. Uh, but yeah, I... Oh, go ahead. Are you saying he looks like a chicken? That's racist, too. He's Irish. What? <laughs> Nobody looks like a chicken except the chickens. <laughs> it just felt too close to... The kind of you know how Johnny Depp was doing this whole Hunter S. Thompson thing in Fear and Loathing. Right. It, it felt like a step toward that instead of something like like Danny is it, he's just got this great slow I don't know man, what you're gonna do kind of thing that he does and G, Giovanni Ribisi just sounds like he's stepping toward what Johnny Depp was doing because Johnny Depp's not allowed to do that in this movie for some reason. I actually wondered at some point. 
Well, wait, is is Giovanni Ribisi's character supposed to be the Hunter S. Thompson origin thing? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Dingus, if you can do Danny's voice, we'd like to hear you do Giovanni Ribisi's voice in Rum Diary. Let's hear some of that. I can't even imagine how to do it because it was just so weird. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's, that's, but yeah, thank, you. thank you very much. It's not quite as lispy as my voice. Like but, yeah. I give that a margin call. I can't believe you guys liked some of the lines of this. I hated the lines. Every line? Oh, man, I, there's so many lines I hated. There was this fucking threes company. She's going, we've all gone down on her uh, line. That's in the trailer, too. That's how good they thought. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And do I have the clap? It's standing ovation. And even, even you know, I already talked about the Aaron Eckhart, all the stupid money lines, which remind me of that stupid money line in Heist. And I kept wanting uh, Paul Kemp to say, that doesn't make any sense. The ocean is money, and God thinks this is money. But that 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 whole scene that Tom, you you mean Tom liked it, and I I would like you guys to defend some of the lines here. But that whole you know the the editorial stance of this paper is financed by the American dream. All that stuff made me want to punch somebody. I, I don't care about that stuff. I like Johnny Depp saying shit when he's drunk. That's funny to me. Upper end of social. Come on, upper that's end great. of social. Why is that a bad line? Kelly, one, give him some other good lines. Uh, those are. Those aren't complimentary? <laughs> yeah, that see, that was a good line. That's I a like good that. line. Come on, Dingus. Give him, uh, give him some more. Uh, what's your star sign? <laughs> oh, why did she have to happen? Oh, God, Kelly Wan, stop. Stop. You're, you're, you're scuttling our point. Well, those aren't drunk ones. Those are, I'm thinking about Amber Heard again. My mind drifts hey, back to Amber Heard a lot. Even when I'm not seeing this movie. Kelly, what, what's a liberal? Could you tell me what a liberal is? Oh, that's a... Uh, Negro philosopher. That... What was it? <laughs> it that was, was like, like every. I know. What that fresh was... hell is this? I mean, there were so many lines where I was just like, "Really? That's the line you're going to use? What fresh hell is this?" I mean, I've heard these lines, or they're clunking. Cons- I hated the lines of this movie. It was just driving me nuts. Thing is, how did you feel about the chickens not wearing any pants? Hey, <laughs> what about when Amber Heard goes, "Oh, I thought you were just floating." That's not something she actually says that to him. Yeah. She goes, oh, you're in a boat? Oh, I didn't mean to come. I didn't mean to pop up. I thought you were just a floating. Like, she's all, oh, you're in a boat? Well, that, that gets to, I mean, like Dingus said, there's no she, her, there's no explanation for her character or why they're attracted to each other. Or they're, they're just there because they're both hot. I mean, and that, uh, I guess that works fine for some movies, but I just felt like that was. It work. works fine for some girls. <laughs> I think that's what I'm trying to say. Kelly Wan, did you ever see All the Boys Love Mandy Lane? Uh, you ask me that constantly, and I constantly... You still have not seen it. All right, well, you you cannot pretend... I want to see Hidden Palms, too. If you have any regard whatsoever for Amber Heard, you need to see her first movie. You need to see what she was before she became what she is now. A lesbian? What? She's a lesbian. What do you think about that? Think about the sex scenes, like Johnny Depp and a lesbian. <laughs> Maybe that's what you're not sensing enough of. Uh, I get more power to her. I couldn't care less. I know. See so much I have in common with her. <laughs> uh, so we both hate dicks. Okay, so I think you just hate blonde women because you're a racist. They're the most victimized demographic, I read in a statistic. Blonde women are. I did not know that. Speaking that's, of blonde that's women... That's the end of my rant, by the way. You can now say... <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's do a three-by-three. Three. Oh. 
What is this week's 3x3? What do you have for us? All right, this week we're talking about your favorite examples of Chekhov's gun mm-hmm. in uh, in movies. So the the Chekhov's gun is a literary element uh, where um, it, it, it's when it, uh, something that seems to be an irrelevant element uh, is introduced early on, uh, and, you, and you're shown this thing. And the, the example I gave was of the remake in The Thing, where it was really ham-handed, and, and a character named Lars goes, hey, look at these grenades over here. It's what for the next about? movie. It's for the and, then, and then later on, that ends up uh, figuring in in some way. You know, Dingus, why is this principle named after the engineer in Star Trek? Uh, because he was from Russia, and he was looking for the Wessels in Alameda. Uh, hey, I thought of another term for him. Non-red herrings. Uh, and Russia's red. I like that. I like that, Kelly Wand. Or blue herrings, but then it gets political, probably. Non-red herrings. Uh, so this is, uh, I'm introducing next week's 3 by 3 so I'll be starting us out. Uh, you know what? Oh, I did not order my three. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, just going to, yeah, you know what? Wait a minute. Hold on. That could take forever. We'll wait. I'm just going to, I have so many. First of all, I hate this topic, Dingus, for one simple reason. Uh, any good example of Chekhov's gun is going to be, I feel, a big, fat spoiler. No, you're dumb. <laughs> uh, you're right. You're actually right about that. And I was, and as I wrote mine up, I was reluctant, but I think mine are old enough that it's okay. And I, I chose ones that everybody has basically seen. I think we're going to share one. If not, I'll be surprised. Well, here's one that I think we'll share because I think this is a, one of the quintessential examples of Chekhov's gun in a, a movie. And it's a movie everybody loves. It's this guy was at the peak of his capability when he made it and it's the cargo loader in aliens oh that's my number two you bitch i mean i think you know we all have i mean that's 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 a classic. it was a great one yeah it's a cl- it was ruined by the one in avatar <laughs> that's the way i see it that's there should be a term for that where a red herring's ruined it's a shark jump herring where it was an awesome thing and like when luke oh lightsaber oh it's gonna be a lightsaber duel later and then the prequel it's like okay i never want to see another lightsaber yeah, well, I mean, I, uh, Avatar, I, you won't catch me defending anything in Avatar, but, uh, I, yeah, there, there's a sense uh, that Cameron um, did reuse that. But I think it was used brilliantly, of course, in Aliens. Yeah. And a, a really good Chekhov's gun for me is one that I don't realize is a gun. Yeah, that you don't see it coming. And I remember watching that scene as a kid in Aliens and thinking, oh, that's really cool. And then She knows how to drive a thing. I didn't say it could just be like character development. Right. She can hold her own with the boys. And then at the end, when she comes out and she's all backlit and the door rises up and she's got her little one-line quip. And uh, I just, I love that scene. And, and the best Chekhov's guns are the ones that you forget were on the wall. Uh, because, and also... Yeah, it, com- it comes out right after, like, you think the movie's already over, because they're all hanging out on the ship, and they've escaped, and they're like, all right, yeah, anyway, and Bishop's all, yeah, i got to take a shit in a minute, maybe. And then this thing spears him, and then you're like, oh. And then you've totally forgotten about the mech suit, because now you, you've, like, okay, there was a bomb, there was an egg. <laughs> right, you think you've seen all the elements that right. you see. Uh, yeah. It so wouldn't have saved. Yeah. Was this on your listing, so the cargo loader didn't make it for you? No, that was my number one. Oh, oh, see, okay, well, there, yeah. So we all. <laughs> Wait to hear my number one. <laughs> that was what, that was what made me think of the list way, way back, way back when. I mean, I, I just love that that moment, and that's what that's one of those first it moments. It was too where, good to take I, off the table. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. And, but it's also so well done. And, and Tom is absolutely right to talk about this as him at the height of his powers. Right. Because I just love that scene. That scene is just so great. And, and it has one of those lines that I can use, that I use all the time when my... Sure. Uh, especially, no, when my mother-in-law is over here and, and whenever she asks me, <laughs> is there anything I can do? And, oh, and, I thought you were going to say you told her to get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> no. How dare you? That's what I thought, too. I mean, I... <laughs> I was being mean to Wendy. And then he goes, mother-in-law, and I go, wow, Dingus is going to fucking get in trouble. So Dingus, Dingus is the type of guy who will roll out an inappropriate line not realizing how it makes him sound. So I can totally see Dingus thinking he's being charming when he says to someone, get away from her, you bitch. But he's so naive, Depp-like, to not get that we thought that. <laughs> for that whole thing. Like, oh, that's fine. Yeah, the line everyone knows from Aliens first. But no, Dingus was, of course, thinking about, is there, I don't know, is there anything you can do? Uh, oh, that's such a memorable line. I can see where you go. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what you say to your wife and mother-in-law constantly. Is there anything? <laughs> and she always looks at me like, what yeah. did you say to me? Well, Dingus, next time, can do. next time, Dingus, roll out, get away from her. You Please do. Please. Over. <laughs> Just go, look, I see you. I was doing a callback to the nun red herring from the you know, next suit line. Mother-in-law, Mrs. Oh, okay. Go back Damn that Kelly one. Uh, all right, so I, here's a little trivia bit. Um, in the video game Half-Life, uh, it opens with a, a famous um, tram ride where you're, you're literally on a tram and it's moving you through this Black Mesa research facility. Uh, and it's showing you little uh, bits of the area that you will later revisit over the course of playing the game. And that, that whole motif is kind of now a, a trope in video games. At one point in the in the um, tram ride for Half-Life, you see this big old cargo-loading robot. And it's picking up stuff and moving it around. I think it might be handling something like in toxic waste. Uh, and then you never see it again. But at one point in the development, Valve, the company that made Half-Life, was going to have that cargo loader be a Chekhov's gun, where later in the game it would come out and save you. That part got caught, got cut. So there is kind of a they, So they, now it's a red herring. They crossed off the non-part. Exactly, yeah. It's the, the gun stays on the wall. Because, as Dingus mentioned last week, the, the principle is named after uh, something that the playwright Chekhov has mentioned a few times, where if you have a gun on the wall... You have to bring it down and fire it. It must be fired. You know, a gun in in Act 1 must be fired by the third act. Um, So uh, there you go. So uh, a Chekhov's gun, a a non-red herring, like you said, Kelly Wand, or a red herring in Half-Life. If they run out of more money, they should have just had the whole game be the tram ride and just show everything, like every alien, like goes to the alien world and still on the tram. There are plenty of games like that. By the way, you said intoxic waste, which was I thought was really weird just a few minutes ago. Intoxic waste? What do you mean? You said that like, you know, they're handling intoxic waste, like it's untoxic. No, no, it's handling stuff in toxic waste, like it's lifting some stuff out of toxic waste, like it's it's picking up. There's toxic waste. Oh, I thought you meant it was handling toxic waste, but it was. It's like, like, like something that's inflammable. <laughs> right. right. No, no, it's like it because it's a robot, it can go into toxic waste where a human being can't, I think. Uh, Worst conversation ever. <laughs> Worst ever. I'm ever. gonna start I'm gonna start ever. tweeting just so I can tweet that that conversation that we were having. Start start <laughs> bleeping and stop tweeting. It's my I hate I hate the word generation. Inflammable. I know, I do too. It's like it's a reminder how stupid Everyone is. Ah, fucking idiot apes. <laughs> uh, Dingus, or no, Kelly Wand, what is your number three example of Chekhov's gun in a movie? 
It's a movie I don't think is very good, even though we did a podcast on it, where I think we kind of pretended it was at least good enough to talk about for an hour, even mm-hmm. though I think we were sick of talking about it after about a half second. But it was I thought it was really funny. It was, like to me, the funniest joke in the movie. And I got the sense no one else in the audience even agreed. Like, I was the only person in the world who thought it was good, which was uh, Crispin Glover's arm in a <laughs> time machine. First of all, I love how you're saying his last name. Uh <laughs> It's pronounced like like oven. Crispin and Glover, toxic waste. Why would it be Glover and just not like Glover? Like John Glover? He's Glover. Like, that's the ancient name. Like, (laughs) Like uh, it rhymes with Clover. Right. Like, Coopers were once barrel weavers or something, and Glovers were falconers. Okay, so what? His arm in what now? What what is the thing you're talking about? That's as far as you got it, and what I was gibbering about, like an animal? (laughs) Fuck check. You fucking intoxic waste, moronic, shipping. <laughs> so Crispin Glover's arm in a time machine? There was something about a time machine. We did a podcast about this movie. You don't remember what I'm talking about. You don't remember this gag at all? Shut up, Dingus. This is very important. <laughs> this is uh, time paradox humor, which to me is... <laughs> hey, tell, tell me if you guys think this is funny. I wrote a play once where this chick from the future... Wait, wait... <laughs> She's trying to convince a dude that she's from the future, and he goes, oh, yeah, well, what am I about to do right now? And she goes, you're about to burp. And then he farts, and she's like, oh, the continuum's ruined. Half nights, it would not get a laugh. Any other, like, it would get, actually get a moan, like, oh, God. Like, oh, the, the play night, was actually produced. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the night the critics were there, it did get a laugh. Uh, <laughs> what was the name of that play, Kelly Wand? Indian Summer of Our Despondency. I thought it was a really funny gag. And the actor talked me into switching him because it was originally, I thought, oh, if people hear a fart, it's going to be, they're going to hate it. They'd rather hear a burp. And that's the time travel fart joke. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to Crispin Glover's arm in Hot Tub Time Machine, I love that they were constantly in the movie like, oh, wait, look, this is where it's going to happen. Now he's juggling chainsaws. Uh, and they were oh just, God! And, yes, I totally remember that. I had no idea what on earth you were talking about, Kelly. Yeah, Wand, we didn't I, do. We didn't ever get to do that show. But yeah, I, I, now I understand. I thought we did. No, okay. we all saw it, but I don't think. I don't we, know. So I imagined a whole podcast talking about that. How so, but, so wait, what's the the oh so the, the, it's the act of the arm being cut off is right. the one armed bellboy. He's a surly one armed bellboy. Right. Right. Pre- and then they go back to the 80s, and he has his arm. So that, and he's constantly doing risky shit with it throughout the movie, and they're constantly like, wait, wait, this is probably where it's going to happen, and then it keeps not happening. All right, hold on one second, Kelly Wan. i got to go to the judges. Dingus, as the judge, is that a Chekhov's gun? Because it's something that, right, it's, it is, I don't know if that does qualify. I don't really even remember it, but I, I think I'm going to have to say yes. Because I think it's a liberal judge. Which because it pays off. There's a payoff, and, and I think that's what you're looking for with the with The, the payoff is he doesn't actually lose it eventually. So. Well, so here's the thing. I, I think the debate about like what – and Chekhov's gun is like MacGuffin. It can mean any number of things. It can have any number of sort of colorings, the meaning. I can uh, trouble. What, what, yeah. Uh, I, I think that instance, like sometimes Chekhov's gun, it, it talks about foreshadowing, like where you're foreshadowing that some, something is going to happen. Uh, like that's one angle on the meaning. Another, I think the more conventional angle on the meaning is that there's, there's an element in the story that doesn't seem like it's going to be at all important. 
but later on it is important. So, Kelly Wan, what you're talking about is Chekhov's gun more as a foreshadowing technique. No, no. Actually, uh, you know what? Now that you said that, I remember. Okay. I think he saves somebody from falling off a roof at the yeah. end with his arm. Very so good. So it is a Chekhov's gun, and I'm a genius. Thank so, Kelly, you for Kelly, Yes, exactly. You should tell me to suck it. Take that, Dingus, uh, who already agreed that I was right. Mr. already agreed. Why do, why do I get to take that? I, <laughs> because I was righter than than Suck Tom it. thought, although Tom was the one. Oh, God. Worst conversation ever. Fuck. Yeah, Dingus. Yeah, Dingus. Worst conversation ever. Thanks a lot. I God. That was a great pick all along, and I was confident that Kelly Wan understood Chekhov's gun perfectly, and I am now vindicated. So take that, Dingus. Take that, Dingus, Tom, raising the doubts originally. Dingus. <laughs> fucking dingus. Yeah, yeah, freaking Dingus now. Dingus. Your number three choice. Now that uh, now that you've tried to doubt Kelly Wan's... Synopses suck, too, by the way. Dingus, <laughs> what is your number three choice for a Chekhov's gun in a movie? And the act nomination judges are terrible. I don't even know where I am anymore. What? Where, where am I? Hmm. Next suit. It's your number one. All right, I'm going to give you guys a quote. I, oh, good. Neither of you will re- remember this, but I just want to say the quote. So there you go. All right. Boy, it sure would be nice if we had some grenades, don't you think? Not the thing. You wouldn't put the thing on there. After he all. can't. He took it off. The, that was his example. Question Dingus, what are you up to? What do you want about Dingus? Three Kings? Is there a grenade line in that? No, this is from a movie that uh, both of you hate because you hate really Predators. Called, uh, it's called Serenity. No, I like Serenity. Oh, all right. So, uh, well, you this, go. Is, this is great because uh, th- there's this moment where they're going on their first job. They're, they're about to land on this planet and go on their first, like, heist job that you see in the movie. And, um, and the captain, Mal, uh, played by Nathan Billion, is going down the hall as his crew's getting ready. And, uh, Jane, uh, played by Adam Baldwin, is getting all of his gear together. And, uh, and Mal says, well, you know, how many weapons are you bringing? How many arms do you have? And, uh, and basically he tells him, no grenades. You're not bringing any grenades. You know, we're not, I don't want any shots fired on this mission. Don't bring grenades. Just bring whatever weapons you're going to bring, but no grenades. And so then they end up, the, the, the heist goes to hell, and they're chased by the Reavers. And at, at one point, Jane says, boy, it would be really nice if we had grenades. So at this point, <laughs> that's it, good. it's basically a red herring, like like Kelly was talking about. You know, you're, you have this element introduced, and then it turns out we don't have it. So it doesn't play in. Uh, but then there, at, later in the film, when they're in sort of their uh, tower defense mode, and they're they're defending, and they're they're creating their whole sort of area where they're going to defend against the Reavers coming in, Mal suddenly turns to Jane and says, uh, tell me you brought them this time. <laughs> That's good. And, and Jane hands one over, and, the, and then they, they're used in that. It, Tom sounds I, bored off his ass right now, but I think well, it's funny. Well, 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 he is, but I love that. I love that. I love how the, the film introduces it, subverts it, and then pays it off. Like okay, hold on, Dingus. Let's go to the judge, who is you. Does that qualify for a Chekhov's gun? I would say no. <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, my other question for you: What what are you saying? The character's name is Jane. Yeah, yeah. Jane. Uh, Adam Baldwin plays a dude named Jane, like J A N E. He's no, the dick character. It's yeah. J A Y N E, and that makes it masculine. Yeah, like Thomas Jane. 
Yeah, but yeah, that's Thomas Jane's last... mask. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. You know what? Okay. And the guy who did those uh, military handbooks, Jane's like so and so, Jane's fighting ships and what? No one knows what you're talking about, nerd. <laughs> Let's get back to Firefly, please, and take take put this nerd in the airlock. <laughs> Fair point. No, I I, I concur. That. Take that, dingus. All right, so the grenades in Serenity. That's uh, All right, uh, the judges have, have ruled that that is a legitimate Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's grenades. Okay, good, good. I like uh, all Nathan Fillion things, except Castle, which I haven't watched, which is his one big hit. I like all his unsuccessful ventures. <laughs> he has done... Uh, like he, did, did, did you like him in White Noise 2, Kelly Wand? He's in White Noise 2? Yep. Uh I only know that because I've been watching a metric ton of crappy horror movies lately, and uh, the trailer on one of the DVDs uh, had a, a Nathan Fillion movie, and I was like, "What? What is this? What horror?" I liked movie the first is? one even, and Michael it turned out to be White Noise Two. I have did not you watch it. I did not watch White Noise One or Two. Uh, I liked the first one. It's it's really stupid, and I feel like an idiot saying this on the internet. But <laughs> All right, I thought it was scary. It taps into my fears of sound. Well, I do like Dingus was saying. I do like Nathan Fillion enough. Yeah, that's that will do to get me to watch a crappy horror movie. If that was on, I would totally. Leave. Oh, Nathan Fillion, White Noise too. Like that would be. I'd be excited that it was on. So, uh, what did I watch? Okay, so I watched a, a, a crappy horror movie recently based on it having uh, Joel Edgerton uh, and Michael Rooker. That's the and, thing, right? The first one. Uh, no, no, no. It, it's not. That's what, what were you saying, Kelly? Wand? He's not the guy in the thing at the end with the earring. Yeah, Joel Edgerton. Yes, exactly. That's him. He's a, an Australian actor. He's in a, a horror movie called Whispers. I didn't know anything about it. I just saw his name and Michael Rooker's name in it. And there were two names I didn't recognize. Who uh, one of them turned out to be the woman from Walking Dead, who plays the the main wife, who I kind of like. She's okay. But the uh. other one completely broke even my enthusiasm for seeing it because i don't recognize his name i couldn't tell you his name now but i knew immediately who it was the moment he came on screen he completely offset michael rooker and uh and uh uh joel edgerton sawyer from lost but i, I kind of miss him oh i cannot stand that guy wait you didn't like him on lost because no. i even liked nathan fillion on lost he was married to kate and they had taco night i even thought that was good because i like nathan fillion but you don't like sawyer Son no. of a bitch. That guy's a horrible actor. I can't stand that guy. No, come on. Sawyer's Plus cool. The, that name just pisses me off. Sawyer? Yes. Or Josh guy. Holloway. My name's Sawyer. <laughs> 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 you, know, you know the actor's name, Kelly Wand. Ha ha. He sucked. He was really bad. The name of the movie is Whispers. And... Was he being all Sawyer-y in it? Oh, totally. I mean, he can't do anything else. What do you so? Mean? He has one skill. He's a great Sawyer. <laughs> You got, uh, I think I think you should have to say the name of that movie a different way. Whispers. He's not Australian. You should have to do like, are you there? Oh, oh like whispering it. Oh, I was yeah. thinking it would sound good with a. You know, Don't be afraid of the dark. It's called black font. So it's called that because it's about these people uh, who uh, it's about criminals. Joel Edgerton, uh, Michael Rooker, and and Sawyer. Uh, they need money. So they're going to be a criminal. They're going to be criminals. They're going to they're going to kidnap a rich kid and hold him for ransom. So uh, they kidnap a little boy who turns out to be like the devil, and it's kind of like Ransom Red Chief meets the Omen. Uh, Boy, this sounds awesome. Like no. everything you described that you're trying. <laughs> I know. I, I know it's too. Everything you're, that you make fun of, I'm all wait. Sawyer versus the devil child. Go on. 
So let me tell you how they're. I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil it for you. What happens is that he can the little kid like makes people hear whispers in their in their head that makes them do terrible things. So at the end, you know, he's killed Joel Edgerton. He's killed Michael Rooker. Uh, he's going to. It turns out that the boy's mother has actually hired Sawyer secretly to do the kidnapping and she's not going to pay so that he gets killed because she has to get the kid killed because oh. so Sawyer she has a devil child but money is a really big deal like oh yeah. Well, so that's that's what she's going to do to get them to kidnap the kid. That's the but, cheapest option. <laughs> but she knows that she's not going to pay the ransom, so they're going to have to kill the kid because the kid can read your thoughts. So it, there's, it's convoluted. So anyway, I can read her thoughts. Well, because she, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure there's an explanation for it. You'll have to watch it and figure that part out. I, now I have to. But here's the resolution. I want to tell you the resolution. So. Sawyer is is it's down to a, a, a confrontation between Sawyer and Devil Kid, mm. and Devil Kid is like, "Go ahead, Sawyer, put the gun to your head." And so Sawyer he doesn't whisper it; he just says it. Like so the kid is. says it, and then you hear a little whisper. It's just like it lost. You hear that whisper. Oh, it's the same. <laughs> uh, so Sawyer puts the gun to the head to his head, and the little kid's like, "Go ahead, Sawyer, shoot yourself now." And so Sawyer. <laughs> slightly behind the crown of his head and pulls the trigger so that the ringing in his ears means he can't hear the whisper. Oh, yeah, he's smart. See? And then he throttles the, the kid to death. <laughs> he throttles him. He's deaf long enough. Why did you just shoot him? That's a good question. I don't know. Because There's that, a lot of holes in this all of a sudden. Well, it needs to be drawn out. The kid runs away and he chases him. He throttles him. him. Uh, I get over here, you <laughs> he boxes, And then he boxes his ears. What's he do to the mom? Uh, let's see the chick from Walking Dead. What happens to her? I don't like that show anymore. I think it's jumped the shark. <laughs> well, well, but we'll... I do like American Horror Story. Did you watch that? Okay, I did not, but I uh, appreciate the uh, the endorsement. Maybe I will because I'm I'm lo- I'm losing interest in Walking Dead as well. Oh, it's not. Dingus, how do you how do you feel about Walking Dead? Too emo. Too many kids. For the you blood. hold him down, I'll strangle him. Mm, I don't remember that part. I don't like I saw it. I haven't seen Walking Dead, but I've seen the first half of the first episode of American Horror. Ah, see? You know what I'm talking about. Well, let's take that up on our TV <laughs> podcast. It's <laughs> the rest so, Tom, what simpler than the first half. Yeah. What was the Chekhov's gun from The Whispers that you really loved? <laughs> oh, yeah. It was Sawyer's hearing. Wait, what? What's the... We've gone far afield of a 3 by 3 Let me bring us back by telling you guys my number two favorite Chekhov's gun in a movie. Dingus, as the the rules lawyer here, you're going to have to let me know if this applies. I call it a Chekhov's gun because it's introduced early on. You think it's irrelevant, like it's just going to have a little... It's going to say a little bit about something that a kid in the movie really likes. The kid then grows up and the movie becomes about something else. And then this comes back. And I had completely forgotten about it. I didn't expect it. This is the advantage of not watching trailers. This is Chekhov's gun is from the movie Up. And the Chekhov's gun is the explorer Charles Muntz in his Zeppelin with his dogs. The movie opens with newsreel footage, and you see the old man in Up when he's a little boy. You see him watching this newsreel footage and being fascinated with this idea of exploration. And then he meets his wife, and we have that whole opening bit of Up, and then we flash forward to him being an old man, and he goes on the adventure and then happens to run into Charles Muntz, who's now you know much older but still living in this Zeppelin that got lost, and he's got all these dogs with him. So that's one of my that's my second favorite Chekhov's gun. Dingus as our referee, does that count as a Chekhov's gun? 
my knee jerk is to say, what the hell are you talking about? I thought that, but then when he said it, it made sense. Yeah, when he describes it, I, I started thinking about the way Charles Muntz plays into what happens to the kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm going to have to accept it. I, I think the judges are going to have to give a provisional ruling uh, because it, it's a little wacky, but it, I, I think it fits. It is wacky as it's a character. It's like, oh, a character's a gun now. Okay, you no, know what? But, how about but I, I like just... that. I like I like pushing the envelope a little bit. Well, well, it's me... unexpected, so he's right. What if I just say the blimp? Or the Zeppelin? It's not as good. <laughs> yeah, go back to Munz. Because it's the whole thing. It's 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 Munz himself, it's the Zeppelin, and it's the dogs. Like, all of them are kind of like the Chekhov's gun of the piece. Just that whole gathering, that whole conglomeration of adventuring and exploring and, and whatnot. And he uh, has to beat his idol, like the guy who made him what he is. He right. Oh, and, and that's well, the, thing. the only problem is I don't I don't think there's any doubt that that's going to figure prominently in the resolution and and that doesn't bother me but it seems like it bothered you when we were talking about this initially. Wait 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 I had no what do you mean uh, there's no doubt I had no idea seeing the movie and that's what I love about not having seen the trailers I had no idea that the Zeppelin and the dogs and the Explorer were going to come back I didn't either when the talking dog comes out I was like what what is that from and when they lead him back to months I was like oh my god I'm such a dummy how could I have missed that I got totally punked by that plot device in Up I'm as stupid as Tom <laughs> there I said it it's great writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take that, Dingus. <laughs> well, Dingus isn't a big fan of Tom McCarthy uh, scripts. What? <laughs> who is that? Who are you talking about? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, we all know Tom McCarthy is the guy who did Station Agent and The Visitor, uh, and he he wrote Up. He, 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 he co-wrote Up with a couple of the pictures. Up's an awesome script. Why isn't Dingus like it? Well, no, the, the problem is that Muntz is, is played... The Muntz voice is Christopher Plummer, and you know that there's no way... He's not a villain because it's Christopher Plummer. Well, you know, there's no, there's no way that's not going to figure prominently. I mean, when you're watching it, I had no idea because he doesn't talk enough. He just says like could be anybody. Christopher Plummer sounds like a lot of dudes. You racist. Right. That's a good point. Nominations. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've the judges have have accepted that one, so it is official. I think this is the best actor, but the worst judge. I'd like to throw out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he does an awesome accent. I, I, yeah, wish, I wish he would do Giovanni Ribisi from uh, Rum Diary. Please work on that, Dingo. But as an Australian. So, Kelly Wand, we know your number two pick is the cargo loader and aliens. Good pick, but I beat you to it. So, Dingus, what is your number two choice? I know this was a contest, but I guess it is. Yep. Dingus, what's your number two choice for a Chekhov's gun in a movie? Give us a line. Uh, all right, I'm going to give you a line, and I'm thankfully getting away from this weird stuff Tom's doing. <laughs> yeah, dingus. Get away from Tom. All right, here's here's the line from it. Do you remember Thunderhead? What? Sounds like something from your highness. He I feel troll accents too. Like it'll be a fucking He's trying to he's trying to do Justin Thoreau's like villain character in your highness. So I'm just going to say your highness. Now he's stealing um, Despicable Me accent. Dingus, which I, of us is right? Make it just like, oh. Kelly's a little closer. It's German, you're Nazi, you're, um... All right, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a quote that will... Steps, go. <laughs> here's a quote that will make it easier for you guys. No capes! Oh, uh... Yeah, I don't, like, what would the Chekhov's gun in The Incredibles be? A cape? A cape, yeah. No, that's a Chekhov's gun. 
It kills it. Dingus. Let's let's go to the let's go to the judges. Dingus, is that a Chekhov's gun? Oh, it's a great one. Yes, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give two thumbs up. Why isn't it, Tom? I just wanted, I just needed to clear it with the judge. I just needed to make sure. Okay, that's fair. All right. Yeah, yeah, Dingus. That's why. <laughs> He's wasting our time, fool. God. Well, the the villain gets his comeuppance in something that the uh, that the hero wants early on. So, uh, so you've got Bob Parr, and this is sort of get, getting to the heart of what Tom was talking about, not wanting to talk about spoilers, but The Incredibles was in 2004, so I feel pretty, uh, pretty uh, comfortable talking about it. Um, and, and Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible, goes to Ed and Mode and asks for her to repair his costume, and she says she won't do it. And um, then she kind of goads him into suggesting that she design new costumes or gets him to request her to do that and and then he starts talking about oh you know he's talking about dying the guy he had a great look he had the cape and the boots and she says no capes and then she does this list of heroes that have been had their downfall by capes no and you see all these little mishaps with capes from other superheroes and then what happens of course for the uh the villain at the end for syndrome Part of his downfall has to do with his cape. So I think the cape is a very, a very good um, Chekhov's gun. I don't Dingus, think any of that was necessary. That was the worst conversation ever because it was such a good choice. It didn't really need explanation. Uh, right. And Dingus, who does the voice for her? Uh, that would be the guy who directed... Um, Mission Impossible Ghost Recon. Oh, harsh. <laughs> Harshers. Uh, I love I love having a little I, as much Brad Bird as possible in my movies. So I was glad he did the voice. That's what we've learned tonight is that Pixar is awesome at Chekhov's guns. They are yes, and so was James Cameron once. <laughs> <laughs> and let's not forget in the eighties, uh, whoever directed Hot Tub Time Machine, also awesome at Chekhov's guns, according to uh, Kelly Wand and Dingus vaguely. Uh, my number one mm. Chekhov's gun. Uh, I don't know why this is my number one. It's my number one because it's at the bottom of my list. Uh, is and I have so many runners up, but we'll get to those in a minute. Here's the one. Uh, it's it's the boulder in Sexy Beast. What? <laughs> You're high. Okay, now wait. I don't know if Dingus is is giggling because he likes it or because of Kelly Wan's reaction. What's going on here? You guys talk to me. I think he thinks Ooh. you're dumb. Make a ruling, Dingus. Do you think? Do I think you think he's dumb? Go. <laughs> I have no idea where he's going with this. I don't either. I think he's high. The hell? That's cool. Because Sexy Beast opens with Ray Winstone at his pool, just hanging out at his Spanish villa, and a boulder comes crashing down the hill and smashes into his swimming pool. And and breaks it, and you know breaks the tiling at the bottom, and uh, and throughout the movie, like we have to get that repaired, and it, it's just like this weird little funky detail that those guys put in the script. But by the time the movie is over, huge spoiler, that is where a certain body is disposed of, is underneath the repair of the damage wrought by the boulder. They could it's have done crucial, that anywhere, though. No, it's a crucial element for where Don's body gets put. Uh, when when you know they're implicated in him going missing and he has to go and do the heist, uh, you know that that boulder, this weird little detail. Hey, a big boulder rolled down the hill and crashed into my swimming pool uh, becomes a crucial part for how he gets out of this terrible thing that happens partway through the movie. Doesn't that make it lamer to swim in the pool, or does it make it awesomer to swim in the pool? Like rest above him. <laughs> uh, that's that's a, a good question. And yeah, I don't I don't know. 
Apparently the answer is yes. So let's go to the judges. Is the boulder rolling down the hill a seemingly weird, irrelevant detail that then figures prominently into the resolution of the dramatic tension? Is that a Chekhov's gun? Let's go to the judges. Dingus, what do you say? I don't think so. I kind of like it, though. <laughs> Why don't you think so? Wait a minute. Let's hear the judges. Why, why right. do you not think that's a... Uh, well, you... I don't think so. It's pretty How strong it... talk for Dingus, actually. How do you that's think it's different than, than an inciting incident, for instance? Because we it know doesn't with, incite with... anything. It, it is an irrelevant... It is a detail. It's basically something in the background of the dramatic action. The dramatic action is a guy who's retired and doesn't want to do another job. Don comes along, Ben Kingsley, and talks him into doing the job. In the course of their dispute about whether or not to do the job, we find out things about what is really motivating Don. Don gets removed from the equation in a particularly violent way, and then Ray Winstone has to go on and do the heist, and so that when Ian McShane and people come sniffing around looking for what happened to Don, the, I... the, we have to decide, you know, the, the, the boulder figures prominently into how Ray Winstone gets out of this pickle. But the boulder I, sets things, sets those things in nope, motion. It's not irrelevant the, enough. The boulder does not set said. anything in motion. The boulder does not lead to the heist. It does not lead to Don having been in love with Dee Dee. It does not lead to Don coming to Spain to talk Ray Winstone into the heist. It doesn't have anything to do with the heist. It's just this weird opening detail at the beginning of the movie. No, it happens. How, how does it figure in later on, the boulder itself? Oh, because they bury, well, spoiler, they bury Don in the hole that the boulder made, and then they repair over it with the tiles of the swimming pool, and then filling the swimming pool with water. Don gets put in, it's a, it's a place where they can dispose of Don's body. Uh, I want to back Tom up on this, because I think Don represents, like, he's like a boulder, so it's like they're using a pain in the ass that arrived out of nowhere, like a giant rock, to solve the problem that's similar to it. Yeah. So that makes Tom look smart. What I just said. <laughs> well, it's not me. I mean, it's the script writers. I mean, right. really, like Ben Kingsley's performance, he really does come barging in like a boulder down a hill. I mean, it's not. But you thought Chekhov's gun when you thought of that. So you're. Well, I was thinking I have a whole list of stuff, and that's one that I really. This is the one that Dingus will fucking shit his pants <laughs> over. <laughs> but the boulder, you you have to admit, whatever the boulder does, the boulder does not figure in later on. The boulder doesn't make an appearance. It's it doesn't like, affect. Look, there's a boulder, and then later on, the boulder well, affects us. The, the, whole, the, boulder, the boulder, boulder comes rolling down a hill and hits somebody and kills them. The whole, That's not the, the same thing. The hole that the boulder made, how's that? All right. Well, if you want that's to call the, that, yeah. that's, that's uh, something well, else, but not the boulder. The absence of space. So yeah. the... <laughs> That's the gun. The gun is the air around the gun. I, I like where you're going conceptually, but I don't. I think that's something else, and I don't know what the literary term is for it. Does it exist? Tom's just it's not. It's, not so that it's, a, it's an irrelevant detail that then figures prominently into the plot, and that if that's how you define Chekhov's gun, this absolutely applies. Tom sounds like he's laughing a little, though. Like he's, I'm not at all. That's my number one. That's my favorite pick. I love that. I, it's not. A, it's not a relevant detail. It's irrelevant, like. Like an element. I mean, it's, 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 oh, it's not a detail. Like, it's an element. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much. What's the difference between a detail and an element? Can you break that well, here's, down? For here's, us? A, here's the difference. It's like a, a gun firing and the gun. <laughs> or, it's like a gun on a wall and the gun features or the hole the gun shot featuring. I mean, th there's a difference between those two things, I think. So well, Chekhov's was... gun is actually, it's more the bullet that Chekhov is worried about and not the gun. So you'll have to take that up with Mr. Chekhov. <laughs> and I'm yeah. sorry that there were no no absence of grenades involved. <laughs> Chekhov's uh, flesh wound. <laughs> Kelly Wan, what do you have that is oh, better uh... than... 
<laughs> now I like it. It's the stupidest fucking one. Peacekeepers look like Citizen Kane. Better than Crispin Glover's arm and the cargo loader and aliens. What do you have as your number one choice? It's going to make Dingus totally forget Sexy Beast. Oh, you're going to upstage my boulder. All right. So dumb. (laughs) I wrote it and I went... Yeah, sure. Why not? Let's see what happens. Wait, no, no. Hold on. Before we move on, are you? Is your final choice going to be the boulder or the hole the boulder leaves? Or the bullet? Yeah. Let's. What are you talking about, Tom? Think is that really is? That's like saying, is Chekhov's gun really about the gun or the bullet the gun fires or the hole in the person's head that was shot by the gun? No, no, no. It's not because as I talked about it, you decided to say, okay, then the hole. So I, I just want to make sure when I was writing it up, it sarcastically said it. Like, is it the boulder or the hole the boulder leaves? Exactly. Dingus, I was I was doing that to placate you. Uh, okay. I'm going with the boulder because I think the boulder, as far as the dramatic intent of what's going on there, the boulder is the most significant part of what. Boulder's like a gun, but rounder. In a lot of ways. All right, all right. I just wanted to make sure I had it right that you're going right. with the boulder and not the hole. But the, the boulder, boulder is piece. solider than Justin Bieber yeah. said. Kelly Wan, what do you have that upstages a boulder rolling down a hill past Ray Winstone? Oh, beast. I am so proud of this because it's just so obvious. I think it's what Dingus has to have been. I can't believe this isn't all your number ones. It's so clear to me what the perfect Chekhov's gun is. Okay, down periscope. (laughs) I'm sorry, the what? The title. Uh, Dingus, uh, let's go to the judges. Does that qualify as a Chekhov's gun? Dingus, what do you have to say about that? Well, I think we've all gone down periscope. In terms of uh, conceptual smartness, in terms of intelligence, since this, well, I, I've, how stupid are actually, we right now? I've never seen uh, any Tom Arnold movies, so you're going to have to tell me more about this. The periscope goes down towards the end when they're staging a uh, military coup of Puerto Rico or Haiti. I get those two mixed up. Which one's the Latin one? Rome. That one. It's a War Games thing. I think Christopher Walken's the uh, evil admiral. He gets his, though. Uh, Dingus, it sounds like you're transcribing like, all of these, so I'm going to leave it to you to parse this. <laughs> I'll leave it to you to troll it on water. I'm just saying, okay, then Indiana Jones lashed himself to the pair. What happened again? The periscope goes down. So the title, okay. which seems irrelevant because it's the title of the movie. <laughs> So, uh, so then my, my when I said the worst conversation ever forty five minutes ago and I actually one believe. runner up is Igby because mm. he goes down like the periscope right uh, all right so Dingus your number one was the cargo loader and aliens now for runners up because some of these are spoilers I just want to mention the actual object and not necessarily how or whether it comes back I don't want to talk too much about some of these but I've got a whole bunch of runners up what about you guys do you have runners you hated up? a topic but you made fifty of them. Well, I hated the topic as far as like a, a, a point of conversation for people who might not have seen the movies. I loved having to argue about Sexy Beast, for instance. I loved you having to explain and, and wiggle your way out of Crispin Glover's arm. I, I like the topic. <laughs> you didn't like my down periscope argument? Fuck you. I, I, I think you ran out of choices and you just plugged Oh, oh, oh Boulder. Mm, interesting. Space around the gun. Mm, where did we hear that just now? Uh, oh. Kelly Wan, how do you feel about the, uh, the, the little necklace that lights up in Sanctum? There's a necklace? <laughs> that's that's, that's, a that's how I feel about it. Absolutely. As soon as you see it, you go check up necklace. Right. Uh, okay. Here's one. Now, actually, I don't even want to mention this, but one of the things I love about the movie Orphan, 
uh, is that it is full of Chekhov's gun. There are about three. There actually, I'm, I'm looking here. I don't even want to say them. There are four different elements that are introduced that end up coming around and figuring prominently into what's going on. I mean, Orphan is such a great sort of Hitchcockian script. Uh, I love that movie, and it's full of Chekhov's guns. Um, oh, that's great, Tom. Oh, yeah, don't talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even going to mention them. I've, I've, I've got four of them that I could list right here, and I don't even want to bring them up. Oh, that's so great. I love that. Wait, which movie has the most? Because I have a contender. No, with, with Sanctum, I was sitting there watching Sanctum, and there were actually people at the end who went, whoa, <laughs> showed up. And then with Orphan, oh, man, that's really good. That doesn't sound like your audience members normally say. Uh, how about Gaff's Origami in Blade Runner? Oh, that's good. I like that. That was an irrelevant looking when the first time. Ah, Mr. Origami over here doing his thing. All right, what, just, what are some runners-up you guys have? i still got plenty more. <laughs> we're, just exa- we're too exhausted to argue now. Like, uh, How do you we'll- feel about uh, Mercedes Belt Knife in Pan's Labyrinth? Is that too close to when, when it actually gets... Uh- there was a labyrinth? No, because that, I mean, that's... Like, when you see it, you kind of... Well, no, I guess that works. They do establish it. No, that's a good one. It's a good one. It figures very prominently. I almost actually, Dingus, mentioned uh, the Commander's Watch from Fans Labyrinth. That was one, but I don't think it was that significant. It was just a cool detail. What about the watch in Pulp Fiction? That was a detail. See, I don't think it's irrelevant, though. It's immensely irrelevant. That's more of a MacGuffin. Mm, Right. See? The poo's the... uh, Well, I'm more goofy. A goofy Chekhov's watch would be in Die Hard, Holly's watch. What happens what? to her watch? Is that how yeah. he recognizes her or something? Is no. it the tape? <laughs> no, because because in the in the beginning, um, uh, Hart Bachner gives her this Rolex, and then later on, that's what kills Hans because he's holding on to the watch. Ah, very good, Dingus. I, oh, I was wondering, awesome. surely there would be one in Die Hard, but I didn't. That's a good call. Okay, good. That's a great one, actually. Well, there's also the shoes, I think. Well, or the lack of shoes. The, the, the uh, fists with your toes. Is sort there's of- also when the fire rode the elevator down and the thing dinged and then the fire came out. Uh, how about the plate in Dwayne Johnson's head in Faster? Oh, that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> that's not irrelevant. <laughs> I like that. That's funny. Okay, here's another one. Uh, I, I mentioned the sewing basket in Meek's Cutoff. I don't want to talk anymore about that. Uh, the um, This one's not really that good, but there's a, there's a little bit with a necklace in The Descent. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? That leads no. to a, a very important decision at the end of the movie between two women. That doesn't sound like women to me. <laughs> well, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to, if you haven't seen The Descent. So The Descent, I think, has a good Chekhov's gun where it's a, a necklace that was given to someone that makes an appearance later in the movie. Uh, how about the serial killer in Don't Look Now? How is it irrelevant? What's the, well, because they talk about, you know, it's set in Venice and it's Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland. Oh, you're right. No, no, that's a good one. Yeah. I uh, I really, is it, you read an art, like a newspaper thing or something? Yep. I forget how he's set up. Yeah. It's, something yep. like it's just something going on in town that you hear about and you're like, oh, that's weird. Uh, it doesn't seem like a Chekhov's gun kind of movie. That's why it works. Because right. it's all yep. Nicholas Rogue. Is that Nicholas Rogue? You bet. Boy, is it Nicholas Rogue. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Boy, is that Amber Heard, Amber Heard. Goddamn. Uh, you guys don't, I don't think you know this Arthur Penn movie called Night Moves. And this isn't really, well, I don't know if it's Chekhov's gun. 
like when you have like a mystery, Night Moves is kind of a detective story, a mystery kind of thing with Gene Hackman as a detective. Um, and the really big deciding element of the mystery that you finally discover at the end of the movie, you have seen talked about early on in the movie. And I don't want to say too much, but I think Night Moves does this great, fantastic job of showing you early on what's essentially going to be not even a MacGuffin, but just this huge determining factor in all these things that are happening. So Arthur Penn's Night Moves, I, I love what that does with what you could arguably say is a Chekhov's gun. I could say that about the conversation. You know what I'm talking about? What would you say is the Chekhov's gun in the conversation? Ah, it's such a spoiler if I say it. Everybody's seen. Everybody who has seen the conversation, who's going to see the conversation, has seen it. It's the tuner on his, around his neck, the saxophone. Oh, but you know what? That's something where even if you've seen the conversation, you might not know. Because isn't that based on something that you said, uh, Coppola said in an interview? He said it on the commentary, but still, it's an awesome one if it's true. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. what's more irrelevant than that? He doesn't even tell you it's relevant. So, all right. So it's the perfect Chekhov's gun. It's yeah, explain even... it to us. Explain it to us. Go ahead and spoil the conversation. Everybody's seen it. Oh, the conversation's too good to spoil. I feel, right. I feel bad talking about the conversation. Because I get uh, all ex- I get excited about it, and then I'll sound... Dingus, what's, what are some runners-up you've got? Too fluffy. Uh, there's um, Martin Blank's pen in uh, Gross Point Blank. Hmm. Uh, okay. he, gets a, he gets a pen from somebody, and then he uses it in a minute. What about um, all the James Bond gadgets? Do those count? <laughs> <laughs> there's uh there's the chef assistant guy in Red October who's uh who's kind of a checkup's uh, gun. What? I mean, oh yeah, him. <laughs> His omelets really screwed up that Russian guy's torpedo <clears throat> tubes that scene. Um well, he turns, you know, there, there's this chef's assistant, and you get this sort of lingering uh, camera shot of him, and he's kind of a tough-looking dude. Sounds like under looking at him. And, and he turns out to be the, the guy, the plant on the ship that the that they've put on just in case something goes horribly wrong, and uh, he's got a gun. Um, and, and then uh, here's, here's a one that... <laughs> and his name's Chuck Off. There's, there's uh, Gary Oldman's silver fingernails in Red Riding Hood. What? Ah, you started Riding Hood first off, you fucking. Oh, did you guys see the? Did you see the Twilight trailer before Rum Diary? <laughs> like I did. Sorry. No, I did not see it. Um, oh, I saw something. What the hell is written and directed by Angelina Jolie? What the hell is that? Yeah, that's her Bosnia project. What the what? It's a it's a war movie kind of thing. I don't know. It's coming out for Oscar season. It's uh, Land of Blood than, and Hunt. That's better than vampires marrying high school. Never mind. Uh, how about Cabby's tape in Escape from New York with his little... Uh, oh, his little uh, awesome. uh, that's a great one. Yeah, I like that's that. That's a great one. That's uh, the best. That's it's no favorite. Boulder, but I like it a lot. <laughs> now, that's Tom's runner-up to Boulder. He'd rather talk about Boulder for nine hours. And just, I don't want to oh, talk... Borg nuts. <laughs> don't want to talk about this, but I just want to mention uh, The Parent's Gun in a movie called Carrier's. Uh, there is a movie called Tideland, which is, uh, I think, one of Terry Gilliam's finest movies. A lot of people don't agree. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a very fairly divisive movie. Uh, Tideland has a construction site that is kind of a Chekhov's gun. Hmm. And I don't want to say any more because I love the way Tideland ends. Finally, uh, how about Theo's backstory in Children of Men? Does that make any sense? Who is Theo? Uh, Clive Owen's character. 
Yeah. Like, like the... And Backstory is sort of a tough one. Here's another one that's kind of like that. Shalan Simmons uh, as the kickboxing instructor in Chupacabra Terror. <laughs> I can't argue with that. Because she's the kickboxing instructor on the cruise ship, and you're like, oh, okay. Well, that's, that's irrelevant. That's, that's an good. irrelevant detail. That can't and, matter at all. And I don't want to spoil anything about Chupacabra Terror, but that actually comes in. Yeah. Bruce okay. Lee's Chekhov's good in any martial arts movie because you go, oh, he's going to do some, uh, he's going to kick because he's Chinese. That, that random bar that's across the alley in Jim Cotta. <laughs> or what about there's one like that in Jurassic Park 3, I believe. There's a oh, Jim good Cotta point. bar. Uh, all right, any other runners up before we go to next week's 3x3? Three three? What else you guys got? Uh, the Lawnmower in Dead Alive. <laughs> that's just like a flat out Ant. gun. Shut up. It's Chekhov's. Ant. Well, wait to hear this one then. That was half. Real quick, can I give you a better lawnmower as Chekhov's gun? Uh, you know what? I don't want to because it'll spoil it. Never mind. My dumb joke, and then you do your thing. Because I'm. You'll see in a minute. Okay. The lawnmower and dead alive. Pretend you didn't say anything. And the man. Oh, fuckers. <laughs> you, know, you know how we feel. And lawnmower man. Right. And I, <laughs> Now, now you know how you feel again. Chingus, what do you got? What else? In Born Supremacy, do you see the magazines or the toaster before that happens? Ah, that would be good if you do. I mean, of course, there got to be set dressing. So yeah, I'd say yeah, definitely. I just, I just didn't get a chance to go back to that, but I just love the way that fight plays out. And I don't know if you see those things, those things before. Yeah. What about the magazine in Alien? I was just thinking about that, and I was trying to think if uh, they don't use the the thing that shock prods it either. Like that's a that's a red herring, isn't it? Because they never shock prod the alien. It was a stupid plan. Oh, that's when it was two inches long and full of spaghetti. They thought, oh, the shock prod will handle. Using the cattle prod, right? That doesn't that that ends up. They have to upgrade their weapons pretty quickly in that movie. Uh, well, I just thought of one. We could probably do one just about flares, uh, but I just thought of flares in Dead Calm. Oh, as soon as you said flares, I thought of Dead Calm. What did oh, I see recently good. that had a flare gun scene? Yeah, yeah, flares is good. Australians are good at Chekhov's gun. You know, that's my 3x3. Three three. Best use of flares in a movie. <laughs> okay, are you guys ready for next week's 3x3? Three three? You only have 23 oh. pieces of flare in your 3x3. Uh, three three. Office space. Uh, okay, there's a movie I saw recently called Bellflower, which isn't very good. Uh, Bellflower, if you like hanging out with a dude after his girlfriend has just broken up with him and having him read you his poetry, you will love Bellflower. Some guy just recommended it to me at a, I, after a drunk guy recommended it. I can see some people liking it. But Bellflower does this thing at one point where the lead character uh, grows out of a beard. Uh, and then later he kind of cuts his hair. And there, uh, it part of what I didn't like about Bellflower that I didn't realize till the credits rolled, the guy who directed and wrote it is also the lead actor. Uh, mm. and, I, and I liked him in the movie until I realized he had also directed and, and written the movie. Uh, I don't recommend Bellflower, but it does that thing where he's so anguished that he, uh, you know, he, he cuts his hair and, and does this like dramatic, hey, look, his hair is different. He's got the beard. What I want from you guys are your three favorite, and I don't even know what I'm going to call them, because they don't have to be haircuts, they don't have to be shavings, they can be facial hair grown out, but I'm just going to say your three favorite hair shifts or changes <laughs> in hairstyle. Anybody. Way. And, and don't, there's so many things that we could put on the table or take off the table, but I'm, gonna, I'm sure some things are immediately occurring to you. Don't uh, don't say anything because I just want to leave this one wide open. Just your three favorite uses of like a change in hair 
style. How's that? How's that? Uh, so I, lo- Bellflower, I love this. Okay, love and, and I don't think it worked very well in, in Bellflower. Uh, so that's this, my example. So I was I saw Bellflower and I immediately thought of about like three or four other movies that did that better. So please please mute Kelly Wand right now. Kelly Wand, we're cutting your mic. So I want from you, like I want you. Let's talk about the movies that Bellflower would have made you think of. All right, so no questions because I think this is a very simple one. Uh, there you go. What movie should we see next week, Kelly Wand? Uh, Tower Heist. <laughs> That's right. an easy choice. What else is out? Nothing. That's the answer. Uh, we did miss Puss in Boots 3D this week. Eh. And it's, it's the number one movie in, in this country of ours. So Maybe your dad, that guy's dad, was right. And <laughs> to see Paranormal Activity 3. Yeah, because they're both threes. That poor kid. I, I, you know, he seemed like he would have enjoyed Puss in Boots. Maybe it bored him. Maybe he saw it and was like, horror movies suck. And, it, and he like, now he'll never be scared. Like, you toughened him up. Yeah, so Dingus, why aren't, Dingus, are you going to take your son to see Paranormal Activity 3? No, we're going to go see uh, Martha, Marcin, May, Marlene. Because <laughs> that John Hawks, he's great in children's movies. Uh, That's right. Uh, all right, so next week, since it's Kelly Wand, he's the one who's chosen it, apparently. Let's see Tower Heist. I, I regret nothing, including interrupting you guys constantly to say worst conversation ever every five seconds. Kelly Wan, who directed Tower Heist? Oh, that would be uh, Eddie Fritsch Berlins. Uh, I think you're mispronouncing Brett Ratner. Oh, right, right. See, I forgot already, because that's how good the poster was. It made me block out the Brett Ratner part. And because you love Catfish, Brett Ratner, was he was a huge proponent of those guys when Catfish came out, and uh, he pushed for that. So Brett Ratner, partly responsible for you having to see Catfish, Kelly Wand. He was the and, space around the proponent. And he is now largely responsible for you getting to see Tower Heist next week. So there you go. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate that. Uh, all right, so join us next week. We will be talking about our three favorite changes in hairstyle. We'll go with that. Uh, as well as Tower Heist. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian... Men, Mener, Menlarski. Christian Menlarski. It's Christian Moroski, and I, I prefer hair shifts. I like the way you put it when you said shifts. Hair shifts. Yeah. Shifts in hair, all right. And uh, and Kelly Wand has been here. Also, Kirk's gun from Star Trek V. Has been here. Does make make a bamboo bird? Dancing? Like everything. Oh, also the uh, anchor from Shark Tale. That was a real unexpected twist on Dingus.